When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ryan on ESPN. ESPN.com, Giants reporter, and I know you can tell right there. My voice is pretty much shot from the weekend. I'm going to blame it on uh, drinking urine. Yeah, you heard that right. Drinking urine. And if you've ever been to the American Dream and gone to that water park, you might understand because that wave pool, which my daughter told me is the largest indoor wave pool in the United States, uh, if you think about it, there's kids all over the place. I mean, kids of all ages. I'm talking from, you know, basically one, two years old up until teens. You're walking through that thing, that humongous wave pool. It's warmer in other spots than others. We know what's going on in there, right? I mean, we know that kids are peeing left and right in that thing. And you're going in there. And you know it's gross. And my daughter wanted me to go in there and go in the wave pool with her and her friend. So I did it. So I'm being a good dad. But at the same time, I sacrifice my throat here because I wake up the next morning after drinking urine. And yes, I'm pretty sure I feel very confident that if I'm in there, I drink, I, you know, you're, you're swimming in urine in some way, shape or form. Now, there's probably enough chlorine to kill everything in there. I mean, what would you leave there? You smell like chlorine. But great place, by the way. American Dream, uh, the uh, water park. Great for the kids. My daughter's almost 11. and. Uh, she loved it. The, the slides are, are pretty cool. I went on a, a lot of them. And then uh, I came home with no voice and uh, I was dead tired. So you got that. You got me with no voice here. We're going to have Dan Duggan a little bit later on. We're going to go over everything that happened last week at the owners meetings. We're going to get into uh, some draft nuggets, a little bit on free agency, even what went wrong in the edge, end of the Joe Judge era. Just a lot of stuff that I've been collecting. We'll call it a potpourri episode, a, a, a spring potpourri. How about that? A spring potpourri here. Also, one last thing before we get in fully into the uh, information. Let's do Wednesday night. Okay. Wednesday night. Instagram live. 9 p.m. Giants after dark. And also, there is a YouTube on the horizon. Breaking Big Blue 2. We're going to call it. So add an additional presence. It'll be uh, at Jordan Ronan, I believe. And we'll, I'll let you know. You'll, you'll, be able, you'll find out. I'll throw it out on all social platforms, and we'll get going there. So this way, the information will keep coming because the podcast at this point is still a little bit in flux. Hang with us here. I promise it'll be worth your while, but uh, we're going through a little uh, exploratory period, trying to figure it out. And uh, I, I need you to be patient with me. And I appreciate everybody out there that listens and uh, that is going, willing to be patient with me here as we go along. But in the meantime, let's get into it. Now, where I want to start is the draft because we're looking at it right now. And we left Palm Beach last week. And after Brian Dable said, that, you know, essentially they need a right tackle. I Man, I'm paraphrasing. Clearly. Looking to add was the phrase that he used. A right tackle. 
We know that means the draft. And there's a really, 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 really strong chance that that's at the top of the draft, specifically that fifth pick. I now would be very surprised if the Giants make a fifth pick in this draft. And it is not an offensive attack. And I've been talking to, talking to people around the league. Talked to someone last night. Their order was Neal and uh, Evan Neal, number one tackle from Alabama. Number two was uh, Ikum Iguanu. Iquanu. Ikum Iquanu. Okay, I think I got it right there. Ikum Iquanu from NC State. Um, but I've seen a lot of people with it the other way around. So it's really kind of like, a, seems like a ice cream flavor preference. But either one of those guys, I expect, I, I, to me, heavy favorite to be the number five overall pick. Overall pick. Now, the only wrench that you can throw in there is if both of them are gone. And the Jets are really the key to that. So we'll see We'll see how that goes. But then you have Joe Shane, the general manager. He's in Palm Beach last week, remember, at the owners' meetings. It's, we'll, we'll, go, we'll get to some more on the owners' meetings later. Let's uh, tell you a little bit about the, um, the party that they hold at the owners' meetings, which is quite unique. But anyway, so Joe Shane, the general manager, he's at the owners' meetings last week. He's flying from Palm Beach, Palm Beach, Florida, so South Florida, two days later, to Eugene, Oregon, right? Think about how far that is. That's about as far as you can get in this country, from one corner to the other. And why is he going to Oregon? Is he going to see the Oregon quarterback or some of these other guys? Let's be fair. Let's be realistic here. The fact that he's making that trip to go see Kayvon Thibodeau is noteworthy to me. Very noteworthy. Now, again, into some of the concerns that there are with Thibodeau in general in a minute here. But it makes me think the Giants and Joe Shane are doing everything in their power to make sure they're vetting this guy, make sure that they're getting the best look at him possible. Remember, he went to Cincinnati's Pro Day, too. Went to Ohio State. Joe Shane went to Ohio State and Cincinnati. So to me, this is notable. This is notable. We don't know exactly what it means because this is a new GM. We haven't seen the way he operates yet. But the fact that he now has seen Sauce Gardner, who is serious consideration for five and seven, and Kayvon Thibodeau, the, to me, those are the three favorites for their two draft picks. And the fact that Joe Shane was at those pro days, I should actually say four favorites. We got Neil, Equanu, Gardner, and Thibodeau. The fact that he was at those pro days, extremely notable. And then Georgia, too, with Trayvon Walker. But to be honest with you, I don't know what to make of that one yet. So. Now the concern with Thibodeau and why people are taking so much time to go look at him. And I don't think it's as much the effort thing that people talk about. I think part of it is, I think there was a quote out there saying, him basically boasting like I'm the best player in the draft. Some way, shape, or form. He said that like it's a no-brainer to him. He thinks it would be foolish if anyone drafted anybody over him. And, and that's fine. You like that kind of confidence. But that kind of plays into what they're, what I've heard is some of the concern about him. Uh, sort of that, it's more, almost more the, the the his thought process and the people around him thinking that he's, you know, like this next level player. They want to build a brand and that he's going to be the next big thing. Sort of like a LeBron type football brand. And that that's what they want to do. That that That's what they expect from him. That's what they're expecting out of him. Like that, that's how good they think he is. And this is the NFL. That's a hard thing to do when you're not a quarterback. If you have people around him keep pushing that and pushing that, I don't think it's something that teams are going to be like, no chance we're not drafting this guy. But I think it's something that you have to keep in the equation. 
if he comes to New York? Is there too big a priority on building a brand instead of football? And that's partly why you have the GM probably in Eugene, Oregon, trying to find out as much as humanly possible, see him with his own eyes, figure out, is this, go, what, is this something that he would envision being a problem later on and getting the most out of him? Because talent-wise, Kayvon Thibodeau is easy top seven pick. Easy. I spoke to someone yesterday, I'm taping this on Monday morning, by the way, uh, who basically thought that that would be stupid if any team wouldn't draft him because he wants to build, build a brand. Because that talent. Is that good? So I know I mentioned in the past also another player I know the Giants liked was David Ojabo from Michigan. Now, he tore his Achilles during that pro day. Now, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out, where the Giants stand on him post-injury. Do they maybe want to try and get him in the second round? Can he get to them in the second round? Do they want to trade up and get him late in the first round? Would that be something they consider? They sent Wink Martin down to that pro day as well to take a look at Ojabo. That's what I heard. So the fact that he was there looking at him, I had already heard that they, it was very intriguing to them. Raw, they saw a huge upside there. Makes me think the Giants were really in on that. And uh, the fact that he now tore his Achilles, that kind of throws a loop into him. Really don't know how that's going to play out. Does he still remain a first rounder? Probably pretty questionable. Uh, as we're talking about pro days, and this is something I heard along the way here. It's very different seeing Joe Shane at these because remember, Dave Gettleman was pretty much in his tenure with the Giants, never at these pro days. Whether it's part of it was, remember, he got diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of his tenure. So he wasn't on the road a lot. Then the pandemic comes. So you have an older man coming off cancer. You know, you understand the not traveling part and just the whole age part of it and the whole situation. He was not on the road. He was not getting these firsthand looks at these guys. Now you have Joe Shane, other end of the spectrum, younger guy traveling all over the country, seeing with his own eyes. Can it hurt? Certainly not. Can it help? Probably. Is it the difference maker? I don't think so, but it's certainly a benefit that you see the Giants general manager now at these pro days. What also was notable is that I did not see Joe Shane going to most of the big quarterbacks' pro days. And you say, oh, big deal. They're just, you know, throwing you off. No, no, no. If you're drafting a top quarterback, you do not pass up on an opportunity. If you're drafting on a quarterback in the top 10, you're not passing an opportunity to see them throw live. I believe it was Pat Shermer who said, and, and I know McAdoo has said this in the past too, is they, they want to hear and see a quarterback there. They want to hear the 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 sound of them throwing the ball. They want to hear the zip of that ball. So the fact that you do not you did not see Joe Shane and really the top top Giants decision makers at most of the pro days for the top quarterbacks that says everything about that. And and look, we'll get into it in a few minutes. They are in on Daniel Jones. They're in on Daniel Jones this year. Like they're going to give him a shot. That is happening. There's no doubt in my mind. Real quick, let's go over some uh, trades, free agency, and some other stuff here. Um, James Bradbury. Heard the Giants are willing to eat some of that money on the Bradbury contract in order to trade him. And let's be fair. I know Joe Shane is trying to play chicken here. Said, yeah, well, he's on our roster. We'll keep him. 
everything I keep hearing is that he's going to get traded. And in order to do it, the Giants might even have to eat some money. We'll talk about the Saquon future in a bit. We'll, we'll go over that with Dan Duggan. Lorenzo Carter. thought this was interesting. He's one guy. The Giants actually did try and bring Lorenzo Carter back. For the most part, they were ready to move on. They wanted all new blood in here. One of the guys they did try and bring back, though, is Lorenzo Carter. And there was some around the league. I got a call the day before he signed. Like, we had heard he was going to go back to the Giants. So then somewhere, somehow, at the near the end, Atlanta came in, entered the picture or up their offer, one or the other, some, some probably somewhere along those lines. And he ends up going there, maybe back home. So it's possible he had comparable offers on the table from the Giants and Falcons and decided, hey, you know what? I could go home and go to Atlanta. I can, you know, have change, a new situation. Maybe this is best for me. Let's go. So that's something I heard along the way I thought was kind of interesting. The Logan Ryan deal, you ask around now, clearly not a fit in the defense. The Giants just wanted to move on, the whole money thing. Uh, that they didn't really save money against the cap. 100% is what happened there. But at the same time, something we that I was told we should, you can't just forget about is there's real money involved here. So there's cash also, right? You're talking about paying, what, essentially $10 million for a player that's a decent player, but not a great player. There's a lot of, that's a lot of real cash involved there. And remember, they did it right before that deadline where they had to pay that real cash. And then Logan Ryan goes, and there's reasons for it, and that fact that the Giants still owed him money and it was offset is that he goes and he signs a minimum contract. But Logan Ryan hits the open market, not getting $10 million a year. So that did factor into that equation as well. And one last thing. I heard Brian Dable, heard Joe Shane talk about Davis Webb, and Dable even went as far as saying he's the best teammate he's ever coached. They think he's a smart guy, basically a coach on the field. Makes me think he's going to make this team as the third quarterback and basically serve as another quarterback's coach in that room. Sort of like a player-coach kind of deal, which really is what Alex Tanney was like. So that's the vibe I'm getting after hearing Dayball and Joe Shane and everybody talk about Davis Webb, is that there's a benefit to keeping him as the third quarterback because he's essentially like having another coach. So, you know, rather than throwing... uh a dart at some young guy, third string guy, who the likelihood is never becomes anything. I would not be surprised at all if we have Davis Webb as a third quarterback heading into the season, if you're the Giants. So, all right, that's that. Let's get to the owners meetings. Uh, We'll start by talking to Dan Duggan. Then we'll get to the party. A lot of interesting things happen at a party with billionaires. And their families. And you know what? You get treated well when you're hanging out with billionaires. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's go to Duggan first. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's bring back Dan Duggan. You know him well. 
the athletic giants beat reporter dan welcome back welcome back from palm beach as well that's yeah, not quite the same setting as we were just at so if anyone ever worries about nfl teams and the nfl as, as, as a whole their budgets and their salaries um i've just seen what they were staying at the breakers for a couple of days don't be worried yeah i mean i'll tell the story later of what the the nfl party is like because that's a, a real treat let me tell you they're not uh they're not skimping on the uh food or alcohol at the uh, nfl party that's for sure and somehow we still are able to sneak in there, which I'm sure that'll change eventually. Yeah, I know. I, the fact that we're still inv- us being the media is still invited to that is uh, a borderline miracle. One day <laughs> that'll disappear. It's soon, soon. But in the meantime, it's soak that baby up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Along with, the, along with the Don Julio that's there. Anyway. <laughs> I, although, Dougie, I think what, what's your, what was your drink? You, you Bud Light and Miller Light? See, I'm a Bud Light guy because I feel like those events are built for endurance. You know, you, you can't be you can't be going hard at those because then you run into Joe Shane at like 11 o'clock. You know, I'm just, you know slurring your words. So I try to stick to like a light beer and, and maybe mix with a glass of wine or something. You can't go too hard. You know, you got to keep it together for professional purposes. Dan Duggan, wine guy. Could see that. There you go. Little little red wine sneak in there. I, I I switched over to beer as well. I think that that's the that's the pros pro move. You can't go like five. You know, five uh, hard alcohol drinks, and you know, there's too many, uh, too many endurance event. Walk, you know, walking around. Head of ESPN, <laughs> Jimmy Pataras, they're like, I can't, I can't have that. <laughs> I won't. I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. How about that? Exactly. But, all right, let's get to the Giants. Okay, so you you go to Palm Beach. We have the NFL meetings now. We have the combine in the books. We're, we're pretty much just straight ahead to the draft right now. What do you come away thinking? Like, what's your, what it could be anything, it could be draft, free agency, whatever. You, you leave Palm Beach. What's, what's your takeaway of where the Giants are right now? And what was, was most that stuck in your mind most from that, that trip there? Hmm, I mean, I think the thing I would say I've learned the most about Shane in general, because it's funny, I mean, he's doing everything here for the first time, obviously. He's never been to GM. There's no blueprint to look at. You know, you looked at what he did with Buffalo. You obviously learned a lot from Brandon Bean, but. I think the way he's handled the James Bradbury thing tells you he's got uh, – he's not afraid to, like, dig his heels in the ground. He didn't panic um, at a few different points here where he could have. And I think he's convict- – he has a lot of conviction. He wants to get something back for him, something legitimate back for him. Um, and it was funny because the day before – it was like rat tat 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 I went Mara, then Shane, then Dable in successive days. So I, I phrased the question to Mara, like, what happens if you just have to like eat the money with James Bradbury, if you just can't find a trade partner, he's like, well, you know, obviously we would want that, but kind of cap situation is what it is. And Shane really tried to just, like stuff that toothpaste back in the tube. He's like, Oh no, he's on our team. He's a great player. He's 28. Like he clearly had a spiel ready that he's probably said that, you know, 31 right. other GMs while he was down there. Um, but I think that's telling that he is willing to, you know, not just give in. And, you know, this is obviously a, probably the most valuable commodity he has. He doesn't want to just give it away for cap purposes. Um, he certainly tried to get word out there that he'll, he'll keep them to all sorts of different dates. I think we all know there's a reality that by you know, mid-July, when you got that time to draft picks, he's probably going to need to do something unless there's another drastic move up his sleeve. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing that was sort of, because a lot of the moves he's, he made to this point were kind of easy moves. Like kind of Kyle Rudolph, Devontae Booker, these are like basic moves. Um, obviously for agency, he hasn't really been able to do a heck of a lot. I think there was some you know, financial discipline show there, but he kind of said that from day one. They were not going to get into like, let's wring as much cap space uh, out of this year as we could because we saw just a year ago that didn't work out very well when the Giants tried to do that. So right. um, there hasn't been a lot of splashing moves. I think Bradbury is kind of going to be the biggest move 
to measure him by, see what he can get. Um, and to this point, he's he's holding firm. You think there's any chance that James Brad Bradbury is back on the Giants? I I personally like I don't I just I can't see it happening. No, I mean I see. I, obviously, you never say never. I mean, let's say one percent. I I don't see it. I mean, I know he has to say that, and he did a good job of getting some people to say, oh, maybe they'll keep him. But you just look at the money, the financial realities, and obviously, it's, it's you know everyone is kind of knows these things chapter and verse by now. But it's like the draft class is essentially going to cost what you get in Jay's Bradbury savings. So sure, they could get really creative and and really just ruin the future years of Leonard Williams and Kenny Galladay and Adore Jackson's cap hits. But he's already said he doesn't want to do it. He's used the word last resort many times. So I think it gets to a point where if, if he's still on the roster past the draft, then it becomes really interesting, though, because then what are you going to do? Because you might not find a team that's willing to give you anything at that point. They might still just wait you out. Mm-hmm. So does he say, like, I'm just going to cut him and, and, and eat that extra $2 million that, he, that he kept, um, you know, with the salary checkpoint there? Or does he try and squeeze Bradbury and say, listen, you have to take a pay cut because if we cut you now, you're, you're not, your market's going to be dried up. So like, it could get really interesting, but I don't think anybody wants to get to that point. I think in, it's the best interest of all parties to come to some sort of resolution, either by the draft or even during the draft. Because uh, I think after that, it, it, does, it does get hard to see an easy exit for him, but I, I just can't see any way that he's like, no, yeah, I was going to keep Chase Bradbury at a $21 million cap, but that just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't work with the other plans he's had throughout the offseason. You brought it up. And so I want to, I want to touch on this for a second. Uh, what do you make though of, of, so John Mara goes and basically says, you know, if we have to cut him, we have to cut him, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And, you know, on the, on the quarterbacks, yeah, you know, I fully expect Daniel to be the starter. He's our starter. You know, we're, we're committed to him. I mean, like before the like GM or coach, I mean, it almost like it's putting the cart before the horse when he's talking. Do you what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a topic that's really come to the forefront. I mean, I think a lot of people remember obviously that presser Mara did after he fired Judge, and you and I kind of were hitting on the the family dynamics. But you know, obviously, John's the leader of that, and I don't think he fully grasped it. Again, we're not even talking about Chris Mara and Tim McDonald. We're talking about John himself. Like what he says is obviously going to put the finger on the scale a little bit. And it's just amazing to me. He seems to have blinders to that. Like when I think it was the day Dave got hired, he was asked, you know, do you expect Daniel Jones to be your week one starter? And uh, he said, we'd be surprised if he wasn't. He said, he'd be very surprised. So like once that's out there, what if Dave goes and watches the film? Man, I don't think I can win with this guy. I mean, your owner's already said like, this is our guy. So Dable's going to have to make it work. And I'm not saying that's how Dable views it. Maybe he does say, I can make, make it work this kid. But I do think, but it, listen, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to realize, but that naturally is going to influence people like in the Absolutely. organization. Like, let's say he changes his mind in the back of his mind. He's still got to think that John Maris said that like he right. kind of he wants it. So, you know, I really that's the owner. Maybe I should just side with the owner on this one. It's not the end of the world. Let me just side with him at least for a couple games just because the owner said it. Absolutely. And listen, I mean, I'm in the media, so I never want to tell guys that they shouldn't say stuff. So it's like, you know, I love guys who, you know, shoot off uh, from the hip. And I don't think John Matt even does that. He's kind of actually pretty honest, which is sort of rare in, in this business, especially owners who you know don't have to make themselves as accessible as he does. But I do think uh, sometimes what he says in these public statements definitely probably sets the agenda without him even, you know, he doesn't have to have a conversation with Brian Dable and Joe Shane about these things because they're all aware of what he says. And like you said, he kind of, I mean, they, these guys have been on the job for a matter of weeks. This is your new boss, obviously the most powerful guy in the organization. When he says something, you're just going to fall in line. And again, I'm, it, it gets so dicey with Mara always wants to say like, you know, that nothing is like, they don't coerce decisions or they don't have like forced decisions. 
But again, people can read the room. So, you know, if, if I think everyone knew that John Mayer really wanted to stick with Eli, they stuck with Eli. You know, all these different moves that have happened throughout the years. I don't know if he ever went into a room and pounded the table saying we have to do X, Y, and Z. But I do think he puts his opinions out there. And if you're a smart employee, you're kind of like, okay, I can make that work. And then that's sort of what ends up happening most uh, most often, at least. Yeah, it just makes me wonder sometimes, like, what what is – and look, I agree with you. I want John Mayer to be as honest as possible, and I love when he speaks. But, like – do you really think this is a good idea? It makes me wonder, like, maybe I understand now why you just you let the whole Eli Geno Smith thing happen. You know, like, it just, it, it just the, the, the lack of uh, just reading the room is it, just sometimes just not there, in my, in my opinion. But, hey, keep it keep it coming. It's good for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, early impressions. You, you kind of gave me your impression of Shane. Uh, but you've been able to spend time around Brian Dable now in a couple different situations uh early impression on the new head coach yeah i mean obviously still very much getting to know him because really you know you had with the intro presser the combine we had a presser and you, you I bumped him a few times briefly and then uh, a little bit of time with them down in, in florida so i really haven't i don't feel like i've gotten to know him that yet it's still early um you know basically what you've seen is what you get as far as like the fans have seen kind of all the interactions but um uh, i mean i think you know you saw from that opening uh, presser, he certainly has like a pretty loose personality. Um, he's kind of comfortable in his own skin. Personal, I think. One I think that's, I think that's a good word for him. Seems very yeah, personal. Yeah. And and one thing that's come across, and he really hit on it in this this uh, press conference he did down in Florida, was how he does stress having relationships with players. Like I think it's mm-hmm. it's one thing for Joe Shane to call Saquon after the you know kind of trade rumors or whatever you want to call it. He felt like he came a runaway train, but Sh- uh, but Dave will reach out too. I and mean, I think that is the fact that he called Davis Webb to explain the Tyrod Taylor signing. I think that says a lot um, about how far he goes to make sure he has good relationships. Now, listen, that stuff will all get challenged because invariably there'll be a guy who's pissed off that he's not starting. There'll be someone else mad they're not getting enough touches. Like, so how he manages that will be tested, you know, during the season. I think right now, I think mm-hmm. he is very much coming as advertised as being like this big personable guy who's going to really try and foster relationships. Uh, I mean, how much is that worth? I mean, obviously, it's better than having bad ones. But again, it's right. it's just so early. Let's even like get to like mini camps and stuff and see how he deals with us when he has to like answer questions like three, four days in a row. All that type of stuff is when you know, your personality really starts to come out and how you're going to handle um, just sort of the day to day. Because I mean, if, at this point right now, it's been so busy. He's just been going, going, going. And then you're going to get to a point where it slows down and it's sort of the grind. And, and then you get to know a guy, I think, a lot better once we end the training camp and then obviously the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh I think we've gotten to a point where we're all just like so jaded and not just uh, we all there's reporters, uh, fans alike. Like it's like, it looks good, but uh, until we see it, you know, we're not going to believe it at this point. Like, I think, I think that's uh, where like, er- where everything is with the giants. I mean, John Maris says it all the time. I understand people, <laughs> people just want to see the results at this point. Like they don't want to hear it anymore. And I think 100%. that really, there really is a lot to that, but let's move to Daniel Jones, right? This, this is a big one for the organization. They made it pretty clear. The pecking order is – there is no doubt about the pecking order. A lot of coaches would have been there, sat there, and said, you know, you know, everyone's going to compete. Everyone's got to win their job. No, no, no. The Giants, from the owner to the general manager to the coach, have been adamant. Daniel Jones is the starter. Tyrod Taylor is the backup. Were you surprised that they took this approach? What do you make of that? A little bit, only because I think I think it's a waste of energy that a lot of coaches do that stuff. You know, remember when, you know Joe Judge wouldn't refer to anybody by name and stuff. It's like it's just kind of a waste of time. We all we all kind of know the score, and and I never for a minute after they signed Tyrod Taylor thought that it's going to be open competition again. There was so much on the record from John Mara on down 
that they still want to give Daniel Jones another shot. Um, but I, I just appreciate that they just were candidly like, this is the back order. Like when we come out there for the first practice or whatever it is, Daniel Jones is QB one. Tyrod's here to back him up again. Now in six weeks, they're zero and six or one and five or whatever. Yeah. Yes, certainly things can change, but I just think it would have been kind of foolish to, to kind of string along a narrative like, Oh, it's an open competition. And I also, I guess if you think it the other way, they really want to do everything possible for Daniel Jones to succeed. So why add that element to, you know, giving him doubt and stuff. Again, I, I don't think that's a big concern. I mean, if there's one thing you can't question with Daniel Jones is the intangible. So I don't think it would matter who they brought in. I think he's still going to be the same guy, but I'm sure that there's at least some consideration. Like let's not have him looking over his shoulder. If he throws a, you know, a pick in the first preseason game, his starting job isn't in jeopardy. Um, but no, I, I just honestly just appreciate it. Cause I think it's a lot of nonsense, but coaches feel like they have to make everything gamesmanship. Like no one, no one really thought Tyrod Taylor was going to be the starter. So let's just put that to bed and, and proceed as, as we all expected it to go. So I heard someone ask this, and I think the answer was about 25%. I think it was Mike Tannenbaum. Like, what do you think the chances that Daniel Jones is the Giants starter in 2023? Yeah, see, that's the much better question. And that was sort of the takeaway. When you looked at the way they did this signing, um, you know, Tyrod Taylor's pretty – I mean, they they could cut him after this year, but it seems kind of unlikely. It feels like they really are hedging against Daniel Jones. I mean, we'll certainly get some confirmation on that when – you know, May 2nd rolls around, whether or not they've exercised the fifth-year option. I'm sure we're both expecting that not to happen. But when you have John Maris saying that he thinks Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback, well, then you'd exercise the option, no questions asked. So that's why, you know, words are kind of words. Uh, you know, the actions will, will tell the story. And, again, I think we all expect how that'll go. So, listen, what are the odds he's a 2023 Giants quarterback? I mean, it all depends on how he plays this year, obviously. I mean, they're not going to lock it in. So it's just going to be a total prove-it year, make-or-break, whatever. We've been saying it like the last two years now. Last year was supposed to be a make-or-break year. Uh, obviously here we are, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's really, can Dable work magic? I don't think they're going to have a great team. Obviously I don't know that the offense is going to be significantly better. You hopefully it's healthier and, and that should help. And I think Dable is going to be an upgrade from Jason Garrett. Um, I just think that they could end up in this really weird spot where say they go like seven and 10 and Daniel Jones is better, but he's not great. Then you're kind of in no man's land. Like I think if you're them, you want him to either just like be Josh Allen 2.0 this year, or just like be more of the same. You can just say, all right, it ain't, it's not right. Like we have to, you know, put all our resources into getting a guy in, in next year's draft or whatever it may be. I think like the worst case scenario, is just kind of stuck in that like no man's land where you're not sure he showed some signs, but now you got to start paying him $30 million a year. You know what I mean? So that's, that's probably the, the worst outcome. Um, I would say if I, I've obviously never been like the biggest Daniel Jones proponent, I, if you're going to put like, more or less likely, I say less likely he's here in 2023. And I think again, What's they've the percentage? built in that. Give me a percentage. So it's less than 50%. Yeah, that was a really uh, strong answer there. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to say, man, the 25%, I'm going to go even low. I'm going to say 20%. Like, I really, I just don't Ooh. think he's going to like come out and just, you know, remove all doubt. And I just think it's, it'd be a lot easier for this new regime to say, you know, let's kind of wash our hands and start fresh, get our guy. Because let's keep in mind, we were looking a lot to what Shane did in Buffalo. They had Tyrod Taylor. They made the playoffs, yeah. and they still sent him out of town and went and got their guy, and they had to do a lot of wrangling. People worry about, like, how many picks they're going to have. I mean, Buffalo had to go from, like, 22 and make a couple of trades to get all the way up to number seven. So um, I think that that's the blueprint Shane is probably planning to have to go. And, again, if Daniel Jones is just awesome this year, then great. We don't have to worry about doing that. But I think that that is – the most likely outcome he's he's mediocre they're not very good they say all right we're gonna have to go a different direction we're gonna like pour all of our time and resources into studying the 2023 draft class and go get with that at that point you hope is you know your version of josh allen 
Yeah, I obviously think it's about 90, 95% he's back, but you know, you know, just that, that's just me. <laughs> so, slight joke there, slight joke. Uh, they always bust my chops for uh, being on the Daniel Jones bandwagon. So, yeah, are you, uh, are you asking about like on the golf course or on the football field? <laughs> I, I think, I think it is closer to 50%, but obviously still significantly higher than yours. Obviously, because like you said, it's just like, well, if he plays well, they'll bring him back in some way, shape, or form. And even if it's as the bridge, and you can eat the Tyrod Taylor money, and it's yeah. so to me. So wait, what, are you saying under fifty percent? But you're closer to fifty. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was probably going to be at like around fifty, but then the way the thing you brought up to me is like, does he really have the pieces around him that I see him thriving and had this offense being really good all of a sudden? And then I started to be like, well, I guess the likelihood of that is probably not not as high, not that high, because like, like where are they super strong? Like where 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 is the possibility that this offense all of a sudden is going to blow up? I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I don't see it. Which brings us to Saquon. You have, we heard, we heard them say Saquon, we haven't shopped him. We've listened to the calls, but we haven't, we've never at any point shopped him. The, what, what do you make of that? Is there any point, any possibility you think that he's still not on the team come week so- one? You know, that's, that's kind of like fun with words there that GMs like to play. That tells me they just never got a very strong offer. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, I, I do agree. I, I, I agree. I do believe that they weren't actively shopping him and just trying to dump him. But I think if some team came in with, like, a day two pick, I think they would at least have to seriously consider it. I think when Shane says they're receiving calls, that's probably teams kicking the tires, basically, because like, you give this guy away, you know, and, and uh, obviously that's not the case. And, I mean, again, it's it, they're in a sticky spot there where, they want to evaluate Daniel Jones. So if you take Saquon Barkley away, you're taking one of his biggest weapons away. I know he didn't have a great year last year. You assume another year removed from ACL, hopefully stays healthy, that you can get something closer to that 2018 version, which you know feels further and further away as we go. Um, so I think he's going to be on the team. Like I just, I don't see them getting a good enough trade offer to justify it. Because again, like if it was just about dumping the money then then maybe but i think that they'll have other avenues to to you know whatever seven million dollar savings you get from dumping saquon mm-hmm. but my problem with it is it's and it's, it's a tough challenge all these gms talk about is straddling that line of rebuilding and trying to win like if you just play out what's the best case scenario okay saquon has you know 1200 yards eight touchdowns they go six and eleven and so what do you do with them next offseason you you give them a big extension you try to like play the franchise tag game which certainly i wouldn't imagine he'd be happy with if he has a bounce back here so i just I don't know like what the long-term payoff of bringing him back is because I don't think Shane is going to be a guy who's going to give a sixty million dollar contract to a running back based on his time in Buffalo. Right, and you're talking about eight, you know, year six to eight of his career too. I mean, yeah, like, with a guy who's had a lot of injuries. So, yeah, so I, I, but I think it's one of those deals where it's like, he's, all right, let's just put that decision off till next year because we, you know, we got enough on our plate and he is still a good player. And and I do think there is a, a you know, the human element to this. There's a very good chance that say they traded him. And he goes to like a you know good offense, and he has like an awesome year, and you're gonna probably stink this fall. That would just be tough to swallow. I don't think that should dominate your decision making, but these are still human beings, and I think it'd be very hard for Shane to, to walk in the office every Monday morning as John Maris got like you know sports around his office, watching Saquon, you know, run for 150 yards and that type of thing. So I do think that is part of the consideration with with these types of moves because I mean he has been such a big part of the franchise, and obviously Gettleman is not here, but. A lot of other people in that front office were very much on board with that pick and have been on board with him as a ambassador. I mean, I know you asked John about his, his marketability. I mean, he has been basically the face of the franchise. So 
to just give him up for like say John said he thinks about it. He said he thinks about it. Doesn't drive decisions, but he said he thinks about it, and I and I don't doubt it. Every everybody does. I mean, yeah. So to give that away for a late day pick. Yeah, and so to just give that away, I just have a hard time. So that that to, to kind of bring my answer full circle. I think if someone if, if there was a bidding war and teams were given a second or a third, then you might have a different decision. But I think it's an easy decision when teams are probably just like kind of kicking around, like, hey, what do you want? Like a seven? You want a 2023 20, six? Like, and it's probably easier to say, well, well, screw that. We're gonna just ride it out with him, and hopefully uh, he's a piece to at least give us a, a you know, because I gotta put a product on the field for 17 weeks this fall. It's yeah. easy for all of us to sit here on our computers and say, I just tank. They got nine home games. They got 17 weeks. I mean, they they don't want to be having the medium Pepsi fiasco. They want fans to actually be in, engaged and enjoying the games and, and not have it be um, just such a toxic environment like it was last season. I say this a lot, and I, I truly believe this and believe I know this in some degree. Like the reason that they're hesitant or would rather not get rid of Saquon is because in order, if they want to really get a look and see if Daniel Jones is their guy at quarterback, they feel like they need to give him players around him and give him a chance. And in order Definitely. to have that, they need Saquon. And then it seems that both the team, the organization, you heard Joe Shane bring it up, even fans and media, like people seem to be dreaming out there that 2018 is a, a, a decent, uh, is a decent chance that that's in the realm of outcomes of, of what he is this year, which I, I don't think is very realistic personally, but I, I believe that is what is the, the impetus behind that that decision more than more than anything else you you yeah, you, uh, you agree with that yeah it feels like that 2018 is like something we're gonna be chasing for you you know what i mean you'd be like a 2026 like oh remember his rookie year like it's getting further and further away but at the same time i mean he is still obviously a, a talented athlete and it, you do you would love to just see him be healthy for a full season but obviously i think that's been the biggest thing because even you know his second year wasn't as good but once he got healthy the last four or five weeks he kind of went went back to that form he just can't stay on the field um, but I think that's part of it. He's, he's what, 24, 25. I think that they are a little hesitant to just give up on him before they really have to and then just see him go tear it up someplace else, especially because, again, they're not going to be very good. It's one thing if the Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill and say, well, we're going to reload. If you're the Giants, it would just be tough to watch him uh, going crazy when, you, when your team's struggling to like move the ball. So I, I think that yeah. definitely uh, factors into the decision, even if fans would love to think that it's just a totally dispassionate decision. I mean, you have to take some of the human element into it. Yeah, I think that's the problem is the flashes of that, you know, that previous Saquon that everybody, you know, thinks about is still there and it'll show up at times, maybe even for a season here or there, like there might be a, you know, a good season there, but for it to be that consistently after all these injuries and the, and what we've seen the last few years to think that that's going to be the norm just seems unrealistic to me. Well, let's end on this real quick. Okay. Picks five and seven. They have, a you know, about the fourth pick and whatever it is in, in, the, in the second round some premium draft capital. Give us uh, a, dra- a draft prediction. What, what, what do you have that maybe other people aren't thinking about? Oh, I don't, I don't have anything too crazy off the grid because I think that their moves and their actions have kind of uh, really revealed that they're, they're definitely thinking tackle with one of those picks, and you would think more likely five than seven. Uh, I mean, I think the dream scenario for them would probably be to trade back and you know, whether it's to you know, pick up more picks this year or probably even better to pick up some 2023 20, picks. I'm still skeptical that that comes together. Um, but so I think if they just, just let's easier just say said than stay, done for sure. It's easy, you yeah. Know. So let's just say they stay at five and seven. Okay. So we have any reason to think otherwise. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's really fascinating where, you know, a lot of times there's some sort of consensus, you know, formed at this point but honestly then usually it doesn't even play out that way we all think oh we know exactly how it's going to go and then something crazy happens but uh i think obviously ideally 
you know, one of those top tackles with Evan Neal or Iquano is there at five. And I think it's an easy decision. Um, those two guys say they go in the top four picks, which is conceivable. Then it gets a little dicey. Do they think highly enough of Charles Cross? Because I think the opinions aren't quite as, uh, there's not as much of a consensus that he's a top five guy. Right. Um, but are they desperate enough? Do they like him enough? Could, could he be the guy? But so I'll say, I think odds are one of those top two picks is definitely going to be a tackle, whether it's, you know, in the top two guys. Or All right. And your prediction for seven would be? Then I think it's a little bit of a wild card. I think a defensive player, most likely. I, I think Sauce Gardner would make the most sense because, again, we're operating on the assumption that Bradbury either won't be here by then or, or certainly won't be here by opening day. And even honestly, even if he was here, I think he would be in play because it is the last year of Bradbury's contract. You can get out of Dory Jackson's contract. Yeah, really. Too, is so. Dory, or Dory Jackson or Bradbury going to be on the team next year? Right. So you like that, that's the thing where people kind of get paralyzed by looking at the roster right now. It's like this is you would take a guy number seven, hoping he's going to be here for the next 10 years. Uh, so you don't worry about the depth chart in week one of his rookie year. Uh, but I think he would make a lot of sense because I think he fits what they want to do defensively. I think cornerbacks such a premium position with the way Martindale uh, calls his defense. But then the other guy that you know you don't know where he's going to land is, is Thibodeau. <coughs> Excuse me. If he keeps sliding down the boards, which, again, this is media boards. We don't know what teams think. He might be just too tantalizing with talent to not take a swing and say, like, you know, we haven't had a real pass rusher here since, you know, the last Super Bowls. Um, so that's the guy who would be really fascinating if he's still there. I mean, I don't know that it's really down to just those four or five names I said, but it feels very realistic that it could be two guys from those four or five names. And then I think Thibodeau is kind of the ultimate wild card. If he is there, is the talent just too much to pass up on? Just pretend it is, Dan, okay? Just pretend it is. No, no one's, no one's going no to argue that right now. That's why the draft's fun. We can have exactly. these conversations, but throw, throw the names around. It's it's all projection. Even teams around the league, that's what they do internally. They're doing the same thing. Right. They're projecting the same way you are, and they're talking to the media the same way. You know, you know, we're talking to the, the fans and and uh, you know to each other. So it, it's a it'll be a fun few weeks here with the Giants holding two top ten picks. The great Dan Duggan from the Athletic covering the Giants, fresh back from Palm Beach all tanned up, back <laughs> dealing with uh, two-year-olds in his own household. I'm sure he loves every second of it. Appreciate your time, Dan. We'll do it again soon. You got it. On to the next one. Oh, beats me. Took, stole my own line. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. I told you I was going to get to the owner's meeting party in a bit and give you a little insight into what that's like because it's, it's good. 
I mean, it's a pretty good deal. So you go to the NFL meetings. And there's all this stuff going on. And remember, it's not just owners there. The GMs are there having meetings. The competitions committees there having meetings. I mean, for the Giants, they have Joe Shane, their general manager, is there. Brian Dables, the head coach, he's there. They have a coach's breakfast, AFC one day, NFC the next day. The ownership is there. John Mara is there. Steve Tisch is there, even though he's not really talking. Get to that in a few minutes, too. Chris Mara is there because, yes, he is ownership. And in the past, I've, I've seen Tim McDonald there. You might say, who's Tim McDonald? Well, he's a senior personnel uh, guy in the Giants organization. He's essentially John and Chris Mara's nephew. So his mother is John and Chris's sister. So Chris Mara, I mean, sorry, Tim McDonald, essentially part of ownership, wasn't there this time. Was on the pro day circuit, I believe North Carolina was one of those days. He took a look at Sam Howell and some of the guys there, but he has been there in the past. So there's a lot of people there. They're talking rule changes. They're talking the business of football. People high up, you know, vice team presidents are there, and a lot of people bring their families. Right, you're going to this hotel, the Breakers, which you look up during that week. How much a room is my my voice just ridiculous urine you're urine distorted for sure but so you you're at this breakers hotel which while we're there you look up talking eighteen hundred dollars a night starting room room starting at eighteen eighteen hundred dollars a night last week so crazy crazy nice place I mean the seafood place in the breakers I go to have a drink which by the way is a nineteen dollar margarita spicy margarita one of my one of my new favorite drinks but $19 a drink appetizers $40 entrees 70 I mean I've been to a lot of fancy nice restaurants go places in the city the $40 app and $70 entree when it's not you know a huge steak or something or wagyu or something like that pretty rare pretty rare so that's where you're living when you go to these things now I'm not staying there ESPN's not paying $1,800 a room that's not happening but the owners and all these NFL personnel, most of them are staying at this hotel. And then they hold a party one night. So basically reporters and media mingle with, you know, owners, oh, GMs, their wives, their families, uh, all these high level executives. But remember, the billion, the billionaires, the owners are throwing this party. So because owners are throwing a party and the NFL is a money-making machine. This party is all out. You know, they, you know, you're sitting there. It's sushi, macaroni and cheese, uh, beef, you know, steak. Uh, the, the bar is stocked with top shelf. You know, I'm, I'm hitting up the uh, Don Julio Nejo on the rocks, get myself a nice drink. I mean, it, it, this is this is a nice event. They're making sure you can't can't serve crap food. To the billionaires who are paying for it, they're going to be like, I'm not going to that thing. What, what, kind of, what kind of event is this? So you're talking high-level food and drinks at a ridiculously nice hotel on the beach in Palm Beach, Florida. That's the kind of party that you get for the owner's meeting. And it's the same thing. It's been Palm Springs. Uh, yeah, where was one? There was one near Orlando. All these places. So it's all the same, similar version of that. But... The only thing is, you know, you get the Don Julio, you sip it nice and you got to go slowly, but you can't go too many either. Because, I mean, like I said, there's big shots everywhere. The head of ESPN, Jimmy Pataro's there. So I can't be drinking, be, you know, smashed and then 
bumping into the head of ESPN or the big shots of ESPN that are walking around or even the owners, the Giants ownership be stumbling on my feet. That's not an option. So maybe I had like, you know, two Don Julio Nejo rocks. Then you transition at that point, go with like a beer or two. I even threw in a water. I think at some point, you know, you, you got to stay within your, uh, stay within yourself there. Can't, can't get out of hand. It's not, not that kind of atmosphere. So little insight into what it's like covering the owners meetings and really the highlight, which is, you know, you're sitting there, you get the opportunity to mingle on a human basis with ownership, with John Mara, with his family, with Joe Shane, his wife, Brian Dable and his wife were there. Uh, Chris Mara, who, who's, you know, walking around his family as well, or his wife. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what, what you're dealing with in, in the uh, owner's meeting, the benefits of the owner's meeting right there at its finest. So we got that. We have this week coming up Wednesday night. Do not forget Instagram Live, Giants After Dark, draft questions galore. Bring them. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really start making those calls this week. Those draft calls, finding out everything I can about this Giants draft. What are the best options? Where they should go? What the league is hearing? This is the week that we really start that grind. We are now in April. We are in draft month. It is time to get busy on the draft one. So I will be there for you Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Instagram. Tell your friends. Like, subscribe to this podcast. We'll try and bang it out as often as possible, but we're expanding. YouTube is coming. It's coming soon. Be there. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. 